So the case is submitted, signaling the end of arguments. We heard uh, all nine justices asking questions at different points in this case. Uh, let's uh, read the tea leaves uh, with our experts. Um, Laura Coates, I defer to you, but it did not seem to me as though anybody in Colorado should be popping their champagne. No, I would put those <laughs> bottles away. And the reason is you have some pretty clear indications here that the court was not swayed by this idea that Colorado wins, if that's the right term, should decide for the entire nation. They talked about it being nationalistic to do so. And also about this idea of, hold on a second, how can we decide this without having to determine what it means to engage in an insurrection. How do we get there? How does an individual state make this inclusion and still have the Constitution protected? This is not a good sign for the Colorado decision to try to remove him from the ballot. It seems that the court is very much leaning, and I'll quote what um, Justice uh, Brown Jackson said, if there's ambiguity, why should we construe it against democracy? That's interesting. So, Steve, um it did seem as though there were a majority of justices, not just the uh, six uh, right-leaning justices, if we can still con say that, uh, that are looking for an off-ramp, are looking for a reason to not uphold what the Colorado Supreme Court did. Do you agree? Absolutely. And, you know, we went into the argument saying how much of the argument is going to be about these off-ramps, how much is it going to be about insurrection. You know, Jake, by my count, we got 53 minutes into Colorado's argument. The very, very last question from Justice Jackson was the only question about the merits. Um, sometimes you walk out of oral argument not knowing what the court's going to do. Maybe the justices are asking hard questions to both sides. Sometimes you walk out knowing how this is going, and this really feels like seven, eight, maybe even all nine justices for a very narrow holding that Colorado by itself can't disqualify a candidate for the presidency without touching what a federal court could do, without touching what Congress could do, without touching what states could do to members of Congress, to senators. And I think what we heard in the oral argument over and over again was justices from across the ideological spectrum, for better or for worse, saying this really shouldn't be up to Colorado. Of course, Jake, then the question becomes what happens next? What is left for enforcing the insurrection ban in Section 3 against someone who a lot of people believe violated it? And, and, and Ellie, that's not to say that they are going to have a majority of Supreme Court justices saying that Donald Trump did not engage in insurrection. They're probably just going to avoid that question to begin with. They're just saying a state cannot decide a federal uh, issue of such import, right? Something I think that's exactly where this is headed, Jake. I mean, you know, we just heard two hours heavy with legalese. We heard about non-mutual collateral estoppel in cases from the 1800s. Uh, to me, it's clear that what's really driving all nine justices here is just the practicality of this, just the real-world impact of this. If they let Colorado disqualify Donald Trump, then we could have a scenario where some states disqualify a candidate and others don't. And that would be a problem politically, practically. And they also talked about the possibility that, well, if one state, one pivotal swing state disqualifies a candidate, that could swing the election of the president who serves the entire country. So as much as there was deep dives there on the legalese and ancient cases, to me, what drives the Supreme Court justices is pragmatism and practicality. And, and uh, George Conway, I want you to take a listen to this from Justice Elena Kagan, <clears throat> appointed uh, by President Obama, uh, certainly a former solicitor general for President Obama, certainly not a conservative uh, by any stretch, but somebody who tries to be fair. Take a listen to her. 
think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. If you weren't from Colorado and you were from Wisconsin or you were from Michigan, and it really, you know, what the Michigan Secretary of State did is going to make the difference between, you know, whether candidate A is elected or candidate B is elected, I mean, that seems quite extraordinary, doesn't it? No, Your Honor, because ultimately it's this court that's going to decide that question of federal constitutional eligibility and settle the issue for the nation. Was Jason Murray's answer sufficient there? To well, re- I, I don't think anything he was going to say was going to be sufficient because where there's a will, there's a way. And this court, from the get-go, from the first, first minute of argument, made clear it does not want to go down the path of disqualification. And they are going to take the best off-ramp they can find. And it wasn't, I'm not, it's not even clear to me this was any, one of the off-ramps that the Trump people really offered in the first place. They're not going to buy the officer argument, which is, I think, a bad argument. The idea, just to... You, right, the argument that... You've been listening to so much legal issues. I know, the president, <laughs> don't forget, the president is not enough. This isn't court TV. No, okay. They're not going to buy the argument that since the presidency isn't mentioned explicitly right, right, in blah, this blah, amendment, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that it not, doesn't cover They're not it. buying that. Okay. They're not buying this, the argument that the, for the 14th Amendment can only be, be, be enforced by Congress. They're saying they're going to write, as, as, as Steve said, a much narrow opinion saying the states cannot individually do this and state functionaries to and the state president. courts can't do it. To, to, the, to pres- the president. To the president. So what we have, but, the, but the problem is, I mean, so that's the offer. They created their, they're creating their own special little off-ramp. They're building out, they're building it out themselves. They don't have the plans for it yet. They're going to have to figure <laughs> that out over the next few weeks. And the funny thing about it is we don't know where the exit's going to end. Right. Because the question of, well, what happens if, if, if he is an insurrectionist and you, you do, you, the states don't disqualify him? Well, he gets, and it gets elected. What do you do then? It's not clear. So we don't know where this off-ramp goes, but they're happy to just get off the highway now. By the way, you so, joked about the idea of the legalese, but you know how you knew in a moment that this court was well aware that the world was listening? When Chief Justice Roberts tried to break down, you're, you mean this case, you're right. talking about term, term limits. limits. Case, you don't mean term, term limits in that. He's well aware of the practicality as to who's listening and the why. And how important it is for everyday mm-hmm. Americans. And I was struck listening to Elena Kagan right there, as, and, and Jake, as you were describing her, as someone who was appointed by President Obama. Yes, they're speaking in legalese, but she sounded like a lot of elected Democrats often sound when they talk about this. If you listen to Gavin Newsom of California, right, California had to make this decision and they've basically said, you know, we're going to wait. But the idea was they were going to basically leave Trump on the ballot. They are making the argument they are staying away from this by and large, at least the the, the most competitive, I would say, uh, campaign-minded Democrats from this idea that he should be banned from the ballot. And they are saying instead that he should, Donald Trump should be beaten at the polls. And I, I heard that in yeah. Elena Kagan's argument, right. too. And, and, and Jim, one of the other things, we, we've been talking a lot about Bush v. Gore, right. the decision that the U.S. Supreme Court made in uh, 20, in, I'm sorry, in year, the year 2000. Uh, and one of the things that was not great about that decision was when they basically said, we're making this ruling once and nobody can ever speak of it again. This is not precedent. That's it. We're just saying this is an ex- extraordinary circumstance. That's the opposite approach that this court is taking. This court is, is looking down the road, not just at Donald Trump, but at how this could be used in the future against any. You don't, you don't agree? Well, we'll come, we'll, we'll come back, back to you. To Jamie, Jamie, go ahead. So let me just, before George says I'm wrong, let me just no, say you're right. that's, you're right. that is a case where we saw the court get involved in the election. 
And if we read the room correctly, and it certainly sounds like, as we have said at least a dozen times, they were looking for an off-ramp today. But let's go to a word that we use with Donald Trump a lot, which is chaos, because they have their off-ramp. But as George said, we don't know where that's going. Who is going to decide this in the end?